murderer, torturer, but most of all, master surgeon. Mr. Quayle was an intern at Willows County Mental Hospital, nicknamed Weeping Willows for the never-ending cries of pain. Through primitive brain surgery, Mr. Quayle believed that he could create a race of superhumans from the mentally ill. Vigilante justice prevailed that took his ass out and hung him. <laughs> and that infamous hanging tree is no more than a stone's throw away from where y'all's ass is now seated. The next day, his body was found to be missing. Until today, no trace of Dr. Satan has ever been discovered. But then who knows? Maybe he lives next door to you. That the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God. Whatever that means to you. You're listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome back to The Fear of God podcast, your favorite podcast your mom's favorite podcast, your sister's favorite podcast, your grandma's favorite podcast. We are so glad you're here for this very specific episode and this installment of our Umbrella series for the year 2020-2020. To know what that is all about, go listen to our precap episode, which is not about Steve Rogers at all, from the end of January for some deeper insight. But basically, you guys are voting on your favorite horror films from the last 20 years, and we are covering one from each year. We began with Shadow of the Vampire, representing 2000, then Donnie Darko and Steve Beckley, first-time guest, continuity guru for 2001, and last week featured 28 Days Later from 2002. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. Typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. Well, guys, I don't know how else to say it to you, but... Reed had Dr. Zayas halfway up his butt, and he had to exit the conversation. It was it was weird. It was weird. But he'll be back, you know? I hope, because that sounds rough. But he'll, I'm sure he'll get by somehow. In the meantime, we want you to know that at The Fear of God, we explore the holy and the horrific at the intersection of faith and fear, dissecting what scares us in order to find what saves us. And if that sounds like something you'd enjoy, come find us on Twitter, on Instagram, or join the Facebook group for lively discussions on horror and genre-themed media, books, and film. Because here at The Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain except for right now, when I'm going to explain that you can listen to The Fear of God podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, and anywhere else, such as Captain Spaulding's Museum of Monsters and Mad Men, that podcasts are found. While you're at it, subscribe to us 
on your favorite platform and also, and especially on iTunes, leave us a five-star rating and or glowing review. Although I guess maybe it's not even called iTunes anymore, just Apple Podcasts. <laughs> Who can keep up? To find us on the web, visit thefearofgodpodcast.com where you, yes you, will find a blog, an episode archive. You'll also be able to purchase merchandise from the show. See fellow foggers and their Fear of God merch on t-shirts, mugs, cell phone cases, pillows. Read! Hey, hey buddy, you're back. You okay? Hey! I got no, I, 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 I got no idea what to do. <laughs> maybe a wince of pain or something i don't know, yeah, I'm, you sitting, know just... I'm sitting here trying to like oh I, I could do this i could do that and i was like ah, this movie is so all over the place it's i don't know good. what to do that's all just, good uh, buddy it's just you know planet <laughs> of the apes joke or something read dr zeus dr. buddy zeus. did you ever see the uh, dr zeus of course uh, I did. <laughs> wow okay well i mean like it's okay well i'm proud of you was that the I'm proud of you. Yes. Was that The Simpsons? Yes, it was. It was. Yeah, it's the Simpsons. Okay. The Planet but of yes. the Apes. It's like, have you seen The Planet of the Apes, the musical? The musical or the planet? Uh, and, then they, <laughs> <laughs> and then they sing the Dr. Zeus, Dr. Zeus. Yes, it is great. He can talk. He that can reminds talk. me he of talk. that. I can sing. This is a really dumb uh, tangent, but on Disney Plus, that stupid show, High School Musical, the musical, the series. Like, come on. <laughs> How stupid do you. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, dumb. Well, like speaking of planet, get, get out of here. Well, and speaking of Planet of the Apes, like I heard a lot of jokes when the which I we mutually do uh, love the trilogy, the Matt Re, you know, sure, the, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, reimagining of it. Yes. Um, but they were joking about like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes of the, you know, <laughs> like it's just all of the yeah, this, yeah, this yeah very yeah. wordy titles. But um, anyway, so hey, Riri, hey, buddy, you, my friend. Are my running mate this election year? <gasps> I am. It's us. It's me and you. Yes. You and I together. Yes. There's the song. We. I feel like a song's about to be burst out Doctors here. Zayers, but Dr. did Zayers. you hear, Reed, Dr. Sayers, Dr. Sayers, <laughs> uh, up your butt. <laughs> um, last week. <laughs> I'm in the butt. <laughs> it was. <laughs> wow. Wow. So much happening right now. Did you hear, Reed? You know, last week I made reference to. Uh, Michigan, Missouri, and Mississippi—the three M's of the the primary. Oh, indeed. And, indeed. But it was too early to call Washington, Idaho, and North Dakota. But Riri, it is no longer too early to call Washington, Idaho, and North Dakota uh-uh. because those uh-uh. primaries happen. And yes, we uh-uh. won. Wow. We are so wow. popular in Idaho. That is wow. You know what? That is that is pretty amazing because I didn't even campaign there. Like, is yeah. Just, well, hey, turns out. That's kind of the way to go this time around. It's <laughs> indeed, it's, indeed. It's, it's when you spend billions of dollars and win American Samoa. We, we got God love the Samoans, but you know they make they make a hell of a Girl Scout cookie. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know we Riri are the candidates to be broke this down, year. Broke down the wow. entire population. Of the <laughs> they make boy, do they make a mean cookie? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh boy! Hey, hey. If I had to be known for something, like there are worse things I could be known no for kidding. than no kidding. making well, a great cookie. Yeah, I mean, like I was gonna go on the Idaho with the potato thing, but no, like the Samoan cookie no. is so much better. Like that's so much. It better. is. Yeah. So uh, you know what else is better? What? What you watching? <laughs> There's a song. What you reading? Doctor Zeus, Doctor Zeus. Oh, what you listening to? Listening to. <laughs> hmm. What are you? Well, what are you? 
What are you? Kaka! Yes, I am continuing to watch Shit's Creek. We've got a lot of deep stuff to get to this episode, so I won't spend a ton yep. of time here. But bring your boots. I did. What'd you say? I said, bring your boots. A lot of deep stuff out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I did recently finish uh, the book by James H. Cone, C O N E, called. Yeah. Well, I haven't read it, but I want to, so, oh. so I'm anxious to see. I didn't even finish. I didn't even say the title. I'm, I'm proud of well, you. Well, no, because I happen to you're know. A, you're a good man. Well, um, <laughs> I know yes. which books you read. You know, and, you know, yeah. I don't have a hidden yeah. camera in your room Ooh. or anything. <laughs> hey, wee, wee. Um, I did finish uh, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. and Did you like it? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. It's. I mean, come on. It's called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. So yeah, a, you are signing yourself volcanic up title. for. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's really powerful, man. It is mm-hmm. so moving how he basically says, how is it that so much of historical American Christianity has missed the correlation between the cross and the American lynching tree? Wow. Um, and it's just... And I'll throw this quote at you and then we can move on. But most summed up and much better put is he says, the crucifixion of Jesus by the Romans in Jerusalem and the lynching of blacks by whites in the United States are so amazingly similar that one wonders what blocks the American Christian imagination from seeing the connection. And that's just, I mean, that's the whole book is essentially that idea. Um, Yeah. And it's, it's really powerful. Uh, If you, I made a pretty concerted decision a couple of years ago and sometimes to my own troubled psychological health perhaps, but of just kind of not just being open, but, but pursuing expanding the boundaries of my kind of understanding of how our historical faith interacts with our historical civilization as it were. You know? Right. And, right, um, right. And, and how I've been blind to some of those areas uh, earlier in life. And so sure, this this sure. is a very signature work that that really bridges a lot of those gaps. Mm. Um, but anyway, yes, I, I thought it was great. Um, if feeling at the same time humbled, but also challenged and also inspired is your cup of tea, then this might be the book for you. All right. All right. Well, what um, about you, Riri? Well, no, I mean, sa- sadly, uh, I do not have anything of late. I am still trekking my way through. Uh, listeners are going to wonder, and maybe sometime later in the year, I'll explain what I'm doing, but I'm still trekking my way through uh, Stephen King's material. So, uh, you know, rereading many of his books, all of which I had read previously, but many of them I have not read in many years. Uh, most recently, I just finished uh, his book, which was published as the quote-unquote final Bachman novel, which was Blaze. Did you ever read Blaze? No. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite good. Uh, it's brief, well, particularly compared Blaise to his is, Blaze isn't the Guns book, right? In other words, like, um, is that the book that Guns is referring to? 
No, 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 no. Uh, Rage is the book. Oh, that, right, right. That, uh, Rage, Guns Blaze. Is referring to. You, yeah. you can kind of see where I got confused there. <laughs> but, uh, but no. So I'm, I'm continuing to just sort of truck my way through Stephen King's material and having a lot of fun doing that. And so uh, the most recent uh, book as of this recording that I had just finished was uh, finished rereading Blaze and really enjoyed that. But that's uh, that's all I've been. That's all I've been reading. So with the. Well, uh, you know. Well, with uh, yeah, yeah, I'm glad you're reading. Well, yeah, exactly, because you know, evidently I didn't for for some time to to my surprise. But um, what you watching? <laughs> what you reading? Nothing. What are Stupid you listening to? Read. You know what this moment makes me feel? What? Um, because this all the little sing songy we're doing. Yeah. Um, what? I'm just really excited for today's episode because are you? Are you? Yeah, I, I am. Like you educated me uh, two plus years ago, or whenever that was, that we covered uh, Eminem's Stan and Bad ah, Guy about right. the value that can be found when we cover songs and music. So I'm really excited well, about today's episode. Like okay. I didn't really know that's where 2020, 2020 would take us, but well, but here we are. So okay, I I sent you those notes and I'll start here it's to to share with people what we're covering uh, the part where it says if i had a highway i would run for the hills if you could find a dry way i'd forever be still but you're given this is is a great part you're giving me a million reasons no nathan give me a million reasons yes read those those are the lyrics of a million reasons by lady gaga that's right the lyrics of a million reasons yes that's what we're doing right Mm, no, no, dude, no, no, no. I mean, t- no. Today we're going to be covering. Okay, okay, the, dude. The- I hate when you do this. Like, you love to do these pivots, but you like change things on the fly. Like, well, if you're if you go listen to the descent episode, we're in the middle of, it, and at the end of it, reads like, "Oh, by the way, different movie." <laughs> that was <laughs> jokes wow. on you, Nate Dog. So, good news for me is I prepared, and oh. you know what? Okay. I I thought Reed's probably going to do this to me, so I can I can I can roll with this. So I, but, I I pull from a lot of different sources. In this case, we can do it's in my tribe or our time in Eden or the Unplugged, which is but, just really great. You know, it's no, not a million. The lyrics of a million reasons. No, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. Now you're just naming the albums of Ten Thousand Maniacs. Yeah, yeah, Nathan, they're great. Nathan, listen, I Springsteen <laughs> wrote for them. Uh, well, at least because the night, yes, absolutely. But that's I mean, like, such a good song. that's a great song. But no, I mean, but we're not covering Ten Thousand Maniacs. I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry to tell you that yet oh again, you have prepared for the entire wrong material yet again. Oh, hey, listen, you are not gonna win this one, Lackey. I'm not gonna let you have this because one, two, three, one, two, three. I gotta know how to pony. Like bone in my room, mashed potato. There you go. Feel it. Do the alligator. Put your hand on your hips. Stop, 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 stop. Do the one, two, six. Stop, 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 stop. Like my little. Oh, wait, wait. Here's the best part. No, 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 the wrong material. This is yet again. This is Nathan. That was Land of a Thousand Dances by the by the classic R and B rock and roller Wilson Pickett. So uh no. 
I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this. I'm sorry to deflate the balloon so rapidly, but we're not covering any of those materials. We're not, none of that. I'm done with this show. <laughs> I'm taking my mic and going home. So no, we're no, not, no. we're not doing the lyrics of a million reasons. We're not covering the albums of 10,000 maniacs. We're not in the land of a thousand dances. No. Well, what the hell are we doing, Reed? We are in fact covering as part of this installment of 2020, 2020, the Rob Zombie directorial debut film from 2003, House of a Thousand Corpses. Mm. That's the one. That, those others are those others are way more fun. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I mean, mean, look, there's come on. there's very little I, more fun than Land. You of a can see dances, how right? I could get confused. You um, said we're gonna do well, the thing of a numbered thing, right? Like it can make a little well, sense. Well, sure. When I mean, yeah, okay. I mean, I could, and I covered. I, I tried. I thought I'd cover my bases, and um, you were just kind of following suit from Twenty Eight Days Later. You know, like it's like, oh, we're just doing the number thing. Like that's, I get it. I mean, I understand. All right. But, well, uh, listen, Reed. While I kind of gather myself, you got to reassess. I get it. I get and it. I go quickly watch this film that apparently we're now covering. Um, why don't you remind listeners about what twenty 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 is? Okay. Because clearly, right. it right. is not. <laughs> um, a look at the work no. of Lady Gaga, 10,000 Maniacs, or Will Smith. No, no, it's not. It's not, as a matter of fact. No, what 2020-2020 is, is a look at your top 10 favorite horror films as voted on by you, the listener, starting with the year 2000, making it all the way up to 2020. If you want to know how to participate in that and have not done so yet, you go to thefearofgodpodcast.com. You click on the very bright red banner up at the top. That'll take you to the page where you can vote in each of these year's surveys. You will be asked to select your favorite horror films from that year, and we will tally the lists together and give them to you. As of this recording, you only have a couple more weeks to vote on the last half of this particular phase of 2020 2020 so particularly if you want to make your votes count for 2005 2006 2007 2008 you got to get on to the fear of god podcast.com you got to cast your votes so get the vote out go there click on the banner cast your votes in the surveys we'll tally up your lists right here that is how 2020 2020 works and yes this week we are in fact covering rob zombies house of 1000 corpses so hmm. um so, i mean come yeah. on yeah. land yeah. of a thousand dances sounds so much more fun than house of a thousand corpses like you know, i kinda, would yeah, yeah i would yeah. much rather go to the land of a thousand dances. no no absolutely absolutely um okay so uh 2003 we it is now time listeners we have fooled around enough it is now time to count down your top 10 favorite horror films of 2003. Nathan, you want to go evens or odds on this one? Mm, I'll go odds. Okay, so I will start with evens. Your number 10 favorite horror film of 2003, surprising me quite a bit, is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, which was directed by Marcus Nispel. It uh, stars most prominently Jessica Biel, uh, produced by Michael Bay. So that gives you some indication of its tone and quality compared to the original. But number 10, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. I have actually heard in recent years a couple of people say, and they are in the minority, but I was surprised that they even exist, uh, some people say that they prefer this to the Toby Hooper original. I am not in that camp. I think the Toby Hooper original is an is an excellent film, powerful film. Uh, but I have heard some people recently claim that they that they prefer this one to that one. 
which surprised me. Huh. Have, have you even seen it? I know you've seen the I original because we covered it. But. I have not seen this one. Okay. As a matter of fact. Um, I, I mean, it is certainly if people like their films graphic and gory and, and a bit grimy, then uh, it certainly fits that mold. But, uh, but no, I, I don't particularly care for it. Okay, well, I just need you to know I'm starting to feel the energy again. Okay. Oh, so okay. I'm, I'm kind of kind of over my my sulk. Well, that's good. It was going to be um, a really dull episode. Then we can't have that. <laughs> um, so number nine, Reed, is the film Underworld, starring Kate Beckinsale, uh, directed by Lynn Weissman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have seen this. Do you like it? No, not at all. No, um, I don't like it. I don't really. Scott, Scott Speedman <laughs> is he in that? Yeah, is he in that first one. And uh, Kate Beckinsale, of course. Right. Yeah. That's what I just said. Well, yeah. Um, that's about all there is to say, really. Just. I remember being so perturbed at how like aesthetically dark the film was, not thematically. Yeah, you or can't see a thing. Like, no, it's it's very very dark. I'm so this spawned like seventeen sequels or however. <laughs> like people love the people love this movie. I don't understand. I and and, and listeners. I apologize. This is going to be a list populated by some films I don't care for. A couple I really like, but but uh, some films I don't really care for. Uh, I feel bad, like, kind of trouncing on the listeners' top ten favorite horror films list, but 2003 was a bit of a rough year. Uh, and, I no, I do not care for Underworld. I don't know how it has garnered the following that it does, uh, but it, it's got it's got its fans. It's, it's really got some people who champion it and enjoy it and clearly keep seeing it. Hey, um, more power to him. Yeah, for real. Number eight is a film that uh, we we almost covered, <laughs> but uh, then we started watching it and and then uh, you know backed off of that. But uh, Alexandra Aja's, I believe, directorial debut, High Tension, uh, which if you go back and listen to our Speaking in Tongues episode, the episode on Eyes Without a Face. Uh, you will hear the story of how we almost covered High Tension. I don't have much more to say about it other than what's said on that episode because since that time, I have actually not gone back to finish watching it. So I've never seen this one. This is the first entry in all of these lists we're making that I have not seen. You know, uh, I I think I would be interested in finding a copy of this that was actually the subtitled version. I mean, sure, as, sure. As much as, the, as much as that initial scene early in the film was... Uh, a turnoff probably even more than that was just terribly dubbed stuff yeah um gotcha, gotcha. so yeah I, i'd be kind of curious about it um next up the ladder here i have not seen but i am interested in it is recent best director screenwriter picture winner uh bong jun ho's film memories of murder I remember, I think I told this story on the Parasite episode, mm-hmm. uh, that I had picked up a promo of this when I worked in my retail days. I watched it then. I have really fond memories of it, but not strong or distinct memories. I just remember liking it, um, and I have been anxious. So you kind of have memories of memories I just, of I have mem- Yeah, I've just got memories of memories. It's it's, it's a very layered thing. But, um yeah. So, uh, but yes, uh, Memories of Murder is a film that I remember enjoying, but have not revisited. And with Bong Joon-ho's recent sort of uh, attentiveness and, and he's in the public eye, I've been wanting to go back and uh, and revisit that film and see how I feel about it with some different contexts. But I remember liking it quite a bit. Uh, number six on this list is a film I have seen, I own, I love tremendously. Um, it is Identity by 
James Mangold, who is a director I don't think gets as much credit as he deserves because he's he's directed some really strong films. I haven't seen Ford vs. Ferrari, but I heard Ford vs. Ferrari was very good, got nominated for a lot of awards. He directed three... Go ahead. I think think he's well-respected. Yeah, 310 to Yuma, which is a film I I do greatly enjoy. I feel like he's kind of... Logan? Yeah, Logan. Oh, absolutely. He's kind of cut from the same cloth as like a Jon Favreau where like he's the director that when you hear all of the films, most of them highly beloved that he's directed, you're like, Oh wow. He's, he's just got a great career. He's just really, you know, well, what's hilarious is to your exact point. I didn't know he directed identity until I saw this list. Oh wow. Yeah, exactly. And do you like identity? You've seen it, right? Um, I have seen it. I actually remember not liking it that much, Ah, but, but I, to be fair, I've only seen it the one time and I think part of it was I just didn't care for the kind of twist ending of it. Oh, um, interesting. And so okay. I haven't rewatched it since then. Um, gotcha. I, but, I yeah, I'm. I apologize for cutting you off. I'm I'm very no. fond of it. Um, it, there there's a world in which I would I would try to maybe you know make a pitch at some point for us to try to cover it. Um, I really I really do enjoy it uh, tremendously. It's got that great sort of like you know, 10 little Indians vibe, all these characters collecting and then just one by one start getting taken out. And, and um, I'm always fond of those kind of what's really going on underneath the surface of this frightening scenario. And uh, and yeah, there's there's a lot I really enjoy about that film. I like it quite a bit. It's funny, the James Mangold conversation made me think I knew there was his name was in the headlines recently, but I couldn't remember what for. And it's because he's in early talks right now to direct uh, Indiana Jones. The next, oh, that's whatever right. is next for that. Yep. That's um, right. After Identity is number five on the list, which is Wrong Turn, directed by Rob Schmidt. This is a, so this I've is never a, seen it. Oh, you've never seen it? Um, nope. Eliza Dushku is the lead in it. It's basically a uh, film about some young 20-somethings getting stuck kind of out in the backwoods of, I believe, either West Virginia or some, you know, like some backwoods town and uh, get set upon by some uh, monstrous inhabitants of that local village that, you know, like everybody knows is there but doesn't really uh, talk about or, or identify. Now, I remember thinking Wrong Turn was competent and enjoyable uh but i do not remember very much about it i remember not like actively and actively championing it but also thinking like oh that was fun i enjoyed that i liked i liked that i'd seen that but uh again don't have a terribly strong memory for it but it is your number five on the list number four number four (laughs) is so great i love it so much it's in the fog canon it is Ronnie Yu's masterpiece. I don't use that word often anymore, but I think we would all agree. <laughs> it's a classic. It's a it's it's a classic. It's Freddy versus Jason. Everybody, Freddy versus Jason is your fourth favorite horror film of 2003. Now you all know. You can go back and listen to that episode. I love this movie. I love this movie for all the right and all the wrong reasons. Um, so yeah, go back and listen to all of our thoughts on that. You love it, right? Was that uh, uh sure yeah was that part of uh was that part of Monster Mash no that was no, part of that number, was number two. two that was number two exactly speaking of num- speaking of number two <laughs> uh number three on this list is directed by David R Ellis Final Destination number two 
Yep. Uh, I can't speak to its quality, but if it's anything like the first, perhaps its <laughs> numerical value there is appropriate. They do some interesting things in it. I mean, I won't spoil it in case there's a, a world in which we, you know, you do see it eventually, which given your feelings about the first one is unlikely, but um, they do some interesting things with it. Uh, I feel like that one and a late installment in the Final Destination series do some interesting and pretty clever things. By and large, I'm not super fond of the franchise, but Final Destination 2 makes some interesting and, and a couple of pretty bold choices that I think are to its credit, to its favor. Um Number two, which uh, before we reveal, well, you'll know the number one because, uh, you know, anyway, uh, number two, <laughs> <laughs> number two was neck and neck. The the tightness between uh, these two in the voting and the ranking was pretty uh, intense, like right up until basically we cut it off. And honestly, makes me wonder if we had cut it off at a different time, if this would have been our number one. But it is um, a South Korean film by Chonwook Park. It is Old Boy, um, which was remade by, of all people, Spike Lee, starring James Brolin, and I never... Uh, yes, I remember it, that. Is it James Brolin I mean, I or Josh Brolin? It. Yeah. Who's uh, the son? Josh. Josh, Josh Brolin. Um, uh, I never saw the remake. I did see this film, and it is bonkers. It is a very... Yeah. It's a very interesting film. Um, I still do not quite know how I feel about it and can't say much about it because there are some elements of the plot that will benefit you experientially not knowing by going into it. So, mm. um, so yeah, it, it's a very interesting film. I definitely think it's worth seeing. It does not surprise me that it was the contender for the top spot because it's a fascinating and very highly regarded film. Um, so, yeah, number two is Old Boy. That means, Reed. It means. That number one on this list is not the lyrics of A Million Reasons. It is not <laughs> the albums of 10,000 Maniacs. It is also, indeed, and in fact not, the land of a thousand dances it is the house of a thousand corpses directed by yes, rob zombie and the fourth of four <laughs> that's a little redundant of <laughs> the films that i've seen on this list and ah. this one i just watched last night so yes yes so uh before we dive into more extensively that one why don't you pull up for us what the top grossing films of 2003 were unpack yes. a little bit of that uh while you're pulling fun while you're pulling that up i'll uh make some observations about the list it's interesting there's uh it feels like the films themselves are kind of starting to get a bit more extreme uh high tension is certainly extreme house of a thousand corpses is certainly extreme uh old boy uh which has obviously some different sensibilities being a south korean film but is very very intense and extreme in places. Freddy vs. Jason, super gory. Wrong Turns, pretty graphic. And so it's interesting. There, there seems to be a heightening of uh, kind of a pushing the limits of what people can tolerate visually and aesthetically. Also, a lot of these films, um, you know, House of a Thousand Corpses, I would even say Freddy vs. Jason, Wrong Turn, High Tension, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they are... They are what I'm gonna call sweaty films, like they are, they are uh, sweaty films. Well, yeah. it's, it's the kind of thing that you look at. I don't it know. Just, I don't know why I that way. <laughs> but they've got like a, they've got like a, a a griminess to them. They're the kind of thing that they just uh, they have this uh, sort of oppressive look about them that makes them feel a bit grimy and and sweaty, which I which I find interesting. That seems to be the aesthetic, which is really interesting. 
We'll get into it more in depth in the film, but House of a Thousand Corpses was actually not made in 2003. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later, but uh, it was made a few years earlier. Uh, it didn't release until 2003, but um, still, that's uh, that's some of my takeaways from looking at the list as a whole. What you got on the box office? Yeah, this is fun. This is maybe my this is a fun little fun little thing. Um, so, box office mojo 2003 worldwide box office. Some surprises, some not surprises. Number five on the list worldwide in 2003 was Bruce Almighty. Oh wow. Isn't that wild? That's interesting. That's really interesting. I mean, well, I don't remember and, liking Bruce Almighty. But. Yeah. Well, listen to the spread here between number five and number one. Number five had a gross worldwide of $484 million. Number one had a gross of $1.1 million. I'm sorry, $1.1 billion. Oh, like that's, wow. It's the first billion-dollar film Top for, that, uh, we, that we've talked about in our series here. Interesting. So, yes, okay. uh, number five was Bruce Almighty. Uh, making almost two hundred million more than that was number four, that of Pirates of the Caribbean: The Curse of the Black Pearl, which is actually a very good that's, first film in that franchise. Yeah, that's a wonderful film. It's really the only film in that franchise that I actively still love and revisit. I I love that film. It's, it's funny. I have distinct memories, <laughs> actually, of wandering <laughs> in Old Navy with my not yet wife around the time The Curse of the Black Pearl released because we got married in January of '04. Oh, so that wow. film must have released in like. Christmas era, Christmas mm. time frame. Interesting. Of 2003. Um, number three on the list, <laughs> this is crazy, uh, is The Matrix Reloaded. Oh, my god! I have not thought about that film in 16 years, for, Well, years for good reason. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, but that's just wild to me. Now, yeah. as a caveat to that, number eight is Revolutions. And hell, I can't even remember which one's the last one. I guess it's Reloaded. Revolutions is the uh, last one. Yeah, Reloaded. Really? Yeah. The last one? Wow. Yeah. So number so because they came out the same year. I think they came out like well, six I know months that, apart from each other. But but what you're saying is the second one made three hundred million more dollars than the third one. Well, which makes a lot more sense because what people don't realize about box office trends is that if in fr- in franchises the success of a sequel is directly correlative to the quality of its predecessor. Sure. And, and so yeah. when you think about how big of a cultural hit in 99 The Matrix was, it makes perfect sense to me that Reloaded is that big, and then people who saw Reloaded were like, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, not going to see Revolutions. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yes. So, wow. That's, so that's number three with $739 million. Uh, number two on this list, uh, and and a strong showing here from Pixar, that is Finding Nemo at $871 million. Wow. That's, Meaning the number I one film, uh, best picture that year, I believe, was The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Sure yeah. was. $1.1 billion in worldwide box office. Group. Return of the King was a sweep. It was one of those rare uh, moments in Oscar history when it won every award it was nominated for that year. So it was, uh, yeah, Lord, Lord, I knew, because I remembered that the Lord of the Rings film had come out in successive years. So I knew when you said $1.1 billion, I was like, yeah, that's Return of the King, uh, which, again, makes sense. And it it overshadowed so many other things <laughs> almost everything yeah. that year uh and although it does so. say a lot for finding nemo it made 871 so no like absolutely 200 yes. more was return of the king which is a final film in a franchise with so that's cool 
Absolutely. Oh, that's that's yeah. There you go. That's 2003 at the box office. Ah, very very nice, very nice. So we're going to continue to uh, trek along in these uh, series. Again, listeners, go to thefearofgodpodcast.com and cast your votes. But it is time now. We can delay no further. <laughs> we must venture in to the Firefly household. Uh, come on down to. Captain Spaulding's uh, wonderful little horror shop and visit the House of a Thousand Corpses. So Rob Zombie obviously came to prominence as a hard rocker, uh, lead singer, and proprietor of the band White Zombie. And uh, this was his directorial debut. So he was venturing into kind of putting his stamp on films, which is something that he had wanted to do for a very long time. Uh, did you, now, I'm going to ask you a question in just a second, but I'm going to preface it by saying, like, I, I know your feelings about this film. Did you do a lot of trivial bit digging? Um, um yeah, I did glance at a few, uh, but I, but I do want to, as a non-trivial bit, throw a note in there, but what were you going to say? Uh, well, I, I was just going to ask you to start unpacking your thoughts on the film so, before we dive into trivial bits, oh, but, uh, well, so, unrelated but, yeah. to the film itself is, um, shout out to my brother who was my gateway to 90s grunge slash hard rock and we would we would ride to school in my high school years listening to more human than human by white zombie oh uh, interesting so yeah i I knew old old rob back in the day we we go way back (laughs) dragula is still uh a a favorite song of mine to to periodically yeah i I don't know that one actually I only really remember more human than human. (laughs) That's great. That's great. No, well, and it's funny too because like Rob Zombie had always. This is not uncommon for uh, shock rockers to integrate horror motifs and horror sensibilities into their stage shows, into their artwork. Um, That was that was pretty prominent. I'll get get into some more. Well, uh, maybe now's the appropriate moment to it. What impresses me about Rob Zombie listeners, if you if you listened to uh, my chat uh, several months ago with Bill Oberst Jr., uh, who was recently uh, had a brief role in a Rob Zombie film, we talked a little bit about what's fascinating is Rob Zombie is very rooted in kind of old school classical horror sensibilities. Like he is a huge fan. And obviously so, if you're paying attention to horror films of the 1930s and like, uh, he's also a really big fan of just films from the thirties in general. And so he's interesting to me in a number of different ways. But one of the ways is that he is, he is so affectionate towards much older sensibilities than some of his peers. And in fact, the name White Zombie is from a Bela Lugosi film from the 30s. Like, that's huh. that, that's an old film. Um, and so there is a ton of references and call-outs in his work, both in this one and in future of his films, uh, directly coming from that era culturally, which, uh, again, I just find interesting about him as an individual. But, yeah. Um, so what do you what do you think of this? What do you think? Of this well, movie? I'm going to uh, uh, two notes there. One, despite what will come off as as a, a big Elmo Jiff shrug towards this film, <laughs> I do actually. I, um, I, I'm not versed enough in uh, zombies' work uh, to be able to speak to quality or not. But in terms of just, I do applaud the guy's sort of Renaissance approach to a broad swath of, of expression. Um, and, and I'll, and, and, 
at the same time, cite as trivial bit and as defense for my Elmo shrug that in 2014, Rob Zombie acknowledged that the movie he acknowledged the movie's cult following, but admitted he himself is not fond of the film, yep, calling it yeah. a calamitous mess. <laughs> um, so, yeah, to yeah. your question, um, you know what's wild about this movie is I literally knew nothing about it. All I knew, literally all I knew, was the art, the box art, as it were, <laughs> and yeah. the the sort of gif that gets shared of the clown guy. And yep. those two Captain things Spalding. together, yes, yes, those two things together serve to create highly unrealized expectations about what this film was, not as ah, in I okay. expected something grand quality and didn't get that as in just like i had no idea the film was what it actually is <laughs> um you know because that that box art is like highly macabre i mean it is grotesque oh, well, and yeah, and, yeah, and truly kind of haunting yeah. um and and reed references at the end of last week's episode a funny anecdote there is fortunately this film's only an hour and a half uh for those of us who start films late and also who aren't sure we want to finish them but when I went to watch it, I was like, man, because we use an Apple TV and, you know, Apple TV from go, like it's it's showing what you've watched or if you go to the movies tab, it's showing what you've yes. purchased and rented. And I'm like, I am not going to rent this thing on iTunes and have this just gross ass <laughs> image on my giant tv screen here my kids are going to turn it on my wife's gonna be like uh okay that's enough we're pulling the plug on this podcast um so i had to like get creative and i was able to rent it on amazon and it does not display that way so anyway so hey dads out there uh if you're curious about this film that's what you can do and not have it Oh my God, I remember when you were texting me that and I was cracking up so much because you were like, <laughs> it's going to show up. It, you said, it's going to show up on my kids, like, you know, what's next? Right, right next up there to Frozen. Beside, <laughs> next to Frozen 2. And I remember I texted you, I was like, they're going to they're gonna turn on the screen the morning and they're like, time to head into the unknown. <laughs> <laughs> Daddy, what happened to Oh Olaf? my gosh, that is so funny. Um, so yeah. Yeah, there's that. Well, what do you? How, how do you want to talk about that? What do you want? Do you have? Do you have? I do. I, I, I yeah, have quite a few I mean, that are that doing. are interesting. Yeah, quite a few that are interesting to me. So, so the first thing is kind of the the inception of the film because Rob Zombie designed um, one of the early mazes. If not, here's what I know. I know that Rob Zombie designed a maze for Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights, which you and I went to. Mm-hmm. Um, the part where my memory gets fuzzy is I don't know if he was one of the first designers of the event, like if they were launching the event sure. and like he was brought on as, or if he was just an early part of the designer. Mix. Yeah, and and but I do know that his maze was uh, particularly popular and was is largely credited with sort of making. Universal Studios event kind of a, a benchmark thing. So so I remember that it was highly well received. So Universal Studios was basically like, "Hey, so you want to make a you want to make a horror movie for us?" And it's interesting to hear the guy talk because he said they came to him and they were like, "Yeah, if you want you want to make a horror movie for us." And he he pitched them this movie off the cuff. 
He was just like, uh, yeah, we could do something like this. And, and, and like he was completely, as he puts it these days, kind of making it up as he went along. Um, and then they funded it. And when he actually went to, he filmed it. And when he actually went to release the film, Universal Pictures refused to release it. <laughs> they were like, we are not going to release this movie. They were certain it was going to receive an NC-17 rating, which it initially did. So they shelved the film, weren't going to release it at all. After some legal battles, um, I don't know if it ever like went to court or if it was just like sort of a, a negotiation thing, but Re- Zombie reacquired the rights. I think he tried to sell it to a couple of other studios and failed to sell it before finally Lionsgate, who were looking to kind of, they were a bit of an edgier brand and were looking to kind of uh, stake a claim and make a name for themselves uh, in, in the broader markets, uh, picked up House of a Thousand Corpses and then released it. It received relatively unfavorable reviews, but it, considering its budget was considered a, a box office success. Um, the cuts that were made to it to get it down from NC-17 to R have never been released on like DVD bonuses or anything. They may just be lost to time. But that's that's why it, there's some interesting connections to it. like it was filmed on the Universal Studios lot with mm-hmm. uh, with some on location shooting that actually took place just a few miles from where I live, which I still oh, really? find yeah, which I still find interesting. Um, but Universal Studios was really like responsible for it getting off the ground but then didn't want uh, to release it um what's what's interesting- to to your point about the yeah. universal lot it was shot on the same it was the same house used in the best little whorehouse in texas by the way uh <laughs> that can be viewed during universal studios tram ride however during filming universal refused to stop the tram tours which delayed filming during many scenes exactly that is true that is true you're welcome um, <laughs> um it uh the style of this film which we'll get to in likes dislikes more directly uh the style is uh you know graphic and grotesque uh, it, you know decisively modern but it, it, you'll notice there are lots of insert clips i mentioned earlier his fan for his fandom for films from the 30s most of those old black and white clips that are shown in like the opening credits and in those very random insertions during some of the scene changes are from films from the thirties. They're all from, and many of them mm. from universal's catalog. Um, and it's funny too, because like uh, talking about the excess zombies stated about before, the what the excess, like the grotesque, oh, uh-huh. you know, extremities of the film. He stated before that he receives a lot of criticism for like how graphic and extreme his films are. And he, I've heard him make the joke before he says, well, I'm trying to warn them off from the titles, like the titles of house of a thousand corpses, the devil's sure. rejects three from hell. Like if you think you're showing up for this and going to see some fluffy like little thing, then you, I'm trying to tell you just from the name of the, of the film that you're in for something uh, rather horrific. Um, one of I've got just a couple more here that I wanted to mention. He's also, in addition to being a fan of those the, uh, films from the 30s, he's a very big Groucho Marx fan and Marx Brothers films. You may not have known this unless you dug it up in your trivial bit, but so many of the characters are actually the names of characters from Marx Brothers movies, including Captain Spaulding and Otis Driftwood huh. and Quentin Quayle, uh, Rufus Firefly, which this main family is called the Firefly, Fla- Firefly family. Um, and Rob Zombie has been trying for years. I would be really interested to see this movie. He's been trying for years to get a project off the ground that would be a non-horror film taking a look at the last days of Groucho Marx. And I would be really interested to see, because he's only ever made horror films. 
And so I would be really interested to see how he would approach material like that, uh, you know, if it would sort of scale back some of his more extreme sensibilities and tendencies. Uh, I don't know. It would be it'd be uh, really interesting. The last thing that I wanted to mention was you had sent me a text said, uh, <laughs> oh, boy. Well, no, I forget your exact wording on it, but but I remember you you sent me a text that basically was like, "This movie so badly wants to be the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like it's so badly want." Yeah. It's, it, or I forget you said like something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre with a paint job or something. I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but it is interesting to me that Toby Hooper, the director of that original, was a very big fan of House of a Thousand Corpses, uh, which meant a lot to Zombie because. Zombie was, uh, you know, cited Texas Chainsaw Massacre as a direct inspiration uh, for it. To, as a way to kind of pivot us into likes, dislikes a little bit, I do find it interesting. This film predates both Saw and Hostel, which are more prominently credited with starting the kind of the, the subgenre of horror known as torture porn. Um, but I think this film makes a decent case for being a bit ahead of the curve on that. <laughs> like it's uh, even it, it, there's there's no way anybody could say that it was uh, influenced by those other two films. If anything, it would be uh, the reverse, which I find very interesting. But um, I'm curious to know. I've been talking a little while. Uh, curious to know, like just I don't know that there's really much to unpack. But tell me a little bit more of just your experience of watching this film, because like you said, like you went into it sort of not really knowing so start digging into a bit of the your reactions to things because i'm interested well my summary statement after watching it and pondering it today is it feels like a movie made by a horny 15 year old boy um <laughs> it's just it. it's like it's erratic it's excessive it's you know just i'll i'll start it this way i think there's two good things that happen in this movie <laughs> um about it one is and and again i i will be rather just sort of caustic perhaps in my tone generally towards the film but i was genuinely kind of on my heels by how much i enjoyed the first five minutes with yes the cap the captain spaulding character captain spaulding yeah. yeah captain spaulding yep that's um it. i because I had seen the memes and of that character. I was thinking just purely based on, again, knowledge of the title and the imagery and the, the meme that he was a sinister type of thing. And, and so it was like, Oh, well, I kind of like that guy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, it was a really weird experience to happen at the front end of the film. He's, um, uh, yeah, yeah he, no, no, I I feel bad because I've already talked for a long time, and now here I am, like sort of interrupting you and and cutting you off or anything. But just uh, I'll I'll hold back some of my thoughts on this. But Captain Spaulding is probably my favorite part of this film, and he is in it. He's in this film far too little uh, for my taste. Honestly, I'd I'd love to sit, to have seen ninety minutes of him. Uh, and when in point of fact, we only get about maybe at most ten ten yeah, minutes of yeah, him yeah. on screen. That's fair. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's fantastic. He's great. So there's that, and the other actually give some credit here uh, filmmaking flourish that I actually loved um, and kind of surprised myself is the extremely long take before Walton Goggins gets shot. Yes, that's a great. Um, one. That's really because great. I was like, "Huh, good for you." 
Like it, it was a really, it was a really <laughs> yeah. good, like, okay. Uh, I had kind of sworn this off by that point and then it doesn't really do much for me after that point, but that was very effective and, and really, really landed for me. Something that zombie does in all of his films. That's that it, it is the buildup in that scene. I find this really interesting. Um, I find it as interesting as I do find it uh, sort of unsettling is he will, in every film of his that I've seen uh, that I can recall at the moment, he will have a scene of, of rather graphic violence set to a very lovely old classic kind of oldies tune. Like that is seen, if you'll recall, before the long shot before Walton Goggins gets shot they're stumbling upon the massacre. The police officers and the father of mm-hmm. one of the victims are stumbling upon the massacre. And while they're all kind of being taken out and being shocked and, and, and grossed out by what they're seeing, and it is in, intense and gross, there's this jaunty, I'll remember you tune, which is really very lovely in different contexts. And, it's, and that juxtaposition I have always found very interesting about his stylistic choices because he, he repeats that in a couple of later films. If not in all of them, he repeats them in, in several of his later films. Uh, a scene of uh, sort of something very visually disturbing while you're hearing something very pleasant um, and and upbeat to, to listen to. The first time I saw this was many years after it was released, um, I was always a bit put off by the cover art. (laughs) And I was like, look, I love horror films, but this seems like it's on some sort of different level and I'm not sure how I feel about this or if I'm ready for it. So uh, the first time I saw this, a group of friends of mine and I from our church decided to get together and have a Bible study about it. I'm just kidding. That's not what happened. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, So no, but uh, the the true parts are, it was some friends of mine from my church who were also horror fans. And we were like, I think it was Halloween one year. And we were like, let's do a double feature. Let's, let's, let's just go for it. Let's. And so we got house of a thousand corpses and the devil's rejects, which was the, the sequel to it. Now I'm one of the most self-professed horror fans in that group of like a dozen people and I remember the first time I saw this, I was, this was like in 2008, and I was incredibly disturbed. <laughs> I was really, <laughs> I was really upset. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know As what I'm the into. person who gathered the Christians to right, watch exactly, Dr. Exactly. Satan. Exactly. And I was like, I actively disliked it. But what's really interesting is the, the sequel to it, uh, The Devil's Rejects, is in many ways, in, in fact, in most ways, it is even more graphic uncomfortable uh it is it is more grotesque like it it, in many ways it is actually far more extreme than house of a thousand corpses but there is a direct pivot in tone that like this film you can tell you like it's very frenetic it's very um you know it's almost disjointed it's got it's like this menagerie of different scenes that don't all coalesce quite well together devil's rejects is much more focused it's much more streamlined and in an odd i'll tell you the premise of devil's rejects but like in an odd inversion you see house of a thousand corpses where the firefly flam firefly family that's a really hard thing to say um where they are all kind of in control of the situation and of their victims well then in devil's rejects it starts off by showing that they are going to be there's a there's a sheriff. Do you remember the 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 lead police officer who's leading the raid and like gets taken out by the mom very yeah. suddenly? Yeah. Okay. In Devil's Rejects, his brother 
is making a vengeful hunt of that family, and he takes out most of them, leaving only the the main three: Captain Spaulding, um, Otis, and Baby. So, uh, Baby is the is the prominent female played by Rob Zombie's wife, actually. Um, Otis is the the long haired one who does some of the more graphic. Uh, Sure. physical depictions um, and then captain spaulding so he's hunting the three of them what's interesting is that he at one point like captures them and puts them through an extended sequence of pretty graphic and intense torture and it was very um it's uncomfortable but it was very interesting to me to see the sequel of this film put those monsters through a sure. very similar thing that we see them go through in, or that we see them put uh, their victims through in this one. So that double feature was really interesting to me. In retrospect, I think I've, you know, when I've rewatched this film, um, I found some more to appreciate about it, it. I mean, like you kind of said, there's a, there's an appreciation to be made of somebody just sort of being bold and, and, and putting, they're all into uh, just throwing whatever they can up on the screen. That's there's something kind of exciting about that. It doesn't translate in uh, a an effective, cohesive viewing experience uh, to me. But uh, but it 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 it's something that I kind of admire uh, just for its audacity, if nothing else. Um, well, and like I think what's hard about this film, and you know, if. if and I may still be a bit jerkish towards it at various points, but also at least with some slight earnestness trying to describe the experience of it. Like in a vacuum, the story of the film or the story present in the film and even some of the sort of gonzo flourishes aren't enough to sink the ship, but there's just, I mean, Reed by the end of it, I was like, ah, this is it's just noise like i could not <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah like i am not making this up i'm staring at this note right now i said this feels like the irishman of horror movies it just <laughs> isn't ending it's just like keeps going into sure, just sure. levels of kind of insanity that are you know like it is a horror movie for sure but in terms of this is what i mean by not getting what i thought based on imagery like by the end of it, I was like, ah, this is just, it's not scary. It's just gross and weird and, mm, and mm, yeah. kind of like, you know, there's some decent kind of creature design at the very end, but. Sure, sure. I think I'm opening a bigger door than I meant to, but like, there's just not a lot to point to of like, here's some quality. Here, and I don't even mean quality like high art. That's not what I'm saying. I just need like <laughs> a few decent performances, you know. it's just they're just not there they're just not there and and why that's hard is you know and while i'm still no expert uh i i have grown a great deal in three years in my understanding if not appreciation but also appreciation of the genre itself when i can 30 minutes in be like oh this is your Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but ah, right, right. none of these things are really that captivating. These characters aren't interesting, and I can't right, tell if right. I can't tell if the film thinks they're interesting and they just aren't, or if they're kind of in on the gag too. And I, I don't know. I don't know. And I think a major problem that I have with the film is Does that and makes nearly, sense? 
Oh, it, it totally does. And in, in fact, yes, anding you a bit. Like Zombie really struggles with characterization, and where he succeeds is usually with monsters. Like he's like his most interesting characters. You talk about like Captain Spaulding in those first five minutes. Like his most interesting characters are the ones that in most horror films you are supposed to be afraid of. Like the ones that are perpetuating these sure. terribly violent acts. Those are the ones that he seems to really be able to set it, sort of tap into something interesting. Like the 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 victims and I guess supposed and like protagonists are uh, obnoxious and irritating, and they're they're not likable in the slightest to me. I act I, f- I feel bad. I'm not going to beat up on the guy, but like I actively dislike Chris Hardwick. Sure. Like I, do, I don't care for him uh, for for what for what he brings to the table. Uh, it, it is not my cup of tea. I actively dislike his performance in this. You even have uh, Rain Wilson, who I love from The Office, uh, Dwight Schrute in The Office. Um, this was like several years before that, but uh, well, I say several. It was a few years before that. Um, but uh, I can see the distinction. <laughs> <laughs> Thank, thank you for that clarification there, Reed. Um, sure. But, uh, but yeah, I just I feel like he zombie really struggles. You know, he remade Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween, which is you know a, a top ten favorite film of mine, not just in the horror genre, but just right. period. And zombies remake, like Laurie Strode and a couple of the victim characters, are not likable to me. Like they're not they they are obnoxious and they are irritating. Well, but see what's the di- what is the difference? I'm sorry to cut you off, but but you know th- that that line because I would say there's likable and there's also performance. Like I don't sure, I, like, sure. like like other than uh is it Sid Haig? Other than him. Sid Haig, yes, yeah. And I I while Rain Wilson isn't really my cup of tea just generally, I don't dislike the guy and so sure, I'm sure he kind of works in this film because he himself is a bit of an oddball. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, gosh, you know, I feel bad cause it's his wife, but she's not a good performer whatsoever. Uh, mm, the, yeah. the, the long haired, the, is it Otis? He's terrible. I guess. Yeah. It's, it's, Which Bill Mosley is just... actually, <laughs> he's a, he's a kind of an icon in the horror genre. Really? <laughs> yeah. Has delivered far better performances. I think, then he does. There's just no tension. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, but like I watched it and it's just so much happening. I just found zero tension. The mm. the close the mm. gl- the glimmer. There was a glimmer of a moment, other than the the Walton Goggins shooting when you think they're fleeing finally and the people are on the pedestals. It's Otis and the big creature guy. Y- yes, yes, like that's. Yes, yes. That's a th- there's a moment where I'm like, oh, this is kind of oh, never mind. It it doesn't last long. Um, <laughs> it does not and last we're right long back at all. To it. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes. yeah. Well, um, and I was trying to articulate for myself. I'm like, what am I not getting here? And 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 I did write down like it just feels real empty. Like, mm, um, yeah. mm-hmm. it's it's not it's it is weird, yes, but it's not like scary. Um, honestly, read what I what came to mind was like garbage pail kids. I'm like, this is what this feels like, and I don't actually mean that uh, dismissively. I mean that as in like, okay, in this sort of frame of just grotesque, weird creature slash characters, I think I'm kind of on. I can kind of find the vibe a little bit, but 
yeah, it was tough. It was tough. Yeah, and and it is it is a film that I think you. Uh, what's funny is we said we've said often that we talk about you have to be on the wavelength of a film, and mm-hmm. this is a film that I don't even know like to your earlier referencing of Rob Zombie's own own quote about it. It's like I don't know that even if you get on the wavelength that you're gonna find you're going anywhere. <laughs> like it's just it, it's yeah. just it's yeah. it's an experience of just throwing everything at the screen and into the story. Um, Honestly, yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off. Honestly, and this does just feel like I'm I'm staring at Daredevil. He's he's on my windowsill, and he he kind of gives me my. Oh. You know, he kind of keeps me going, and he's a he's a fighter, and I feel like I'm punching, I'm punching down on this movie, and partly I don't mean to be, but partly I'm just trying to process my own feelings. But like, sure, sure. To me, this is the kind of movie. When when we enter an enterprise like the fear of God, and we know there's going to be detractors, and we know it's going to oh Christian shouldn't watch this. I'm watching this thinking like, well, this is what people are talking about. It's a movie oh, like this, yeah, yeah, right, that's right. totally vapid in terms of substantive, anything you know to me anything. The right, characters right. aren't that interesting. Where it was most profound to me was the the terrible old guy doing his whatever routine his stand-up routine or whatever the crap it was i was like this is awful <laughs> <laughs> yes, do you know what yes. i'm talking about do you remember that oh scene? yeah of course of course where and... it's like you know i can contextualize so much in a film and especially the stuff we cover you know if it's rooted in some sort of true it's funny you said this a minute ago and i think there's a lot of truth to this there's just no character development in it and so when there's no character development i have nothing to hold on to so all i have is the surface and the surface of this is really gross and and Mm -hmm. and and yeah yeah not fun to (laughs) not fun to hold on to no no i well what's ironic is uh like that because rob zombie's made about a half a dozen films now i've i've seen all but one of them and i keep feeling like and this is i'm just going to say it the way that i think about it i don't have a ton to to unpack in the moment but he strikes me as somebody who is so I'll, i'll say this it is obvious to me that rob zombie is very talented but there is something disconnecting his talent from his execution. Like, I feel like he has some fascinating things to the bring to the table that just when I watch his films, I'm like, but they're, but they're not here. They're not translating into something that I can latch onto with the exception of like, I think devil's rejects has a couple of particular moments that uh, I cut you. I cut you off earlier on Halloween. Do you like the Halloween? So the, his first Halloween he edges up to some interesting things. There are some interesting things about it. Malcolm McDowell plays the uh, Donald Pleasance role, the the mm-hmm. Dr. Loomis. Um, and so there are some interesting things about it. There are some incredible visuals. Like there's a couple of moments, just individual shots, uh, because he cast a mountain of a man, uh, like a professional wrestler, as Michael Myers, who's like, he's literally like six foot eight or something. He's just towers over everybody. So there's a couple of really arresting visual moments of just like Michael Myers standing behind the couch of one of his victims and looking down. And I'm like, that is a killer shot. Like that's a really uh, fantastic shot. So again, there's like, there's some things to it, but ultimately no, ultimately like when I step back from it, I'm like, I don't, I don't connect to it as well as I do 
uh, well, John Carpenter's original is is kind of on a different level. It's, sure, it's hard to yeah. compare that to things, but but um, but just all of his films, I keep. I am perpetually let down whenever I'm like, ooh, there's a new Rob Zombie film. I'm interested in what he might be trying to say. I'm interested in what he might be trying to do. I watch it, and nearly every time when I get to the end of it, I'm like, I'm pretty let down by that. I am pretty disappointed. This is just like, this is, again, a lot of what Stephen King described about The The Shining, but you don't even get the luxury of having the distinct, amazing visuals is uh, is just like, it's it's not taking you anywhere. It's not, it's not going anywhere in its, in its substance. And I do have a theme that I, that I sort of latched onto that I'll, that I can unpack in a second if we want to. But, um, but yeah, I do agree that it's like to, to your point about, you know, Oh, well people can indict like, you know, why should people watch these horror films? And if, if listeners will remember at the end, I, I do feel like in ways that we don't always do, I think you should, really think hard about whether or not you you want to see this film and if this is something that you that you are interested in fascinating to me that this was voted the favorite horror film of the <laughs> 2002 or 2003 by our listeners um but uh it, it, it is um i don't know it's it, it, well but, but see I, some of this does make sense to me though like if you assume from a certain standpoint that most of our listeners are probably in our general demographic age wise, like, right. Which would mean that most people who would have voted in this are late teens through mid twenties at the time of this film's release. Like I could see it's technicolor gonzo bat insanity. Yeah. Having a memorable, uh, lasting effect such that sure, at least sure. in hindsight, you're like, okay, Oh, that one stayed with me. And, Again, to its credit, it is bookended by Sid Haig's Captain Spaulding, which is probably the strongest aspect of the film, period. Like like Yes. Yeah. You I can agree. tell that guy, the actor, is is really just kind of chewing it up and living the moment, you know, living his best life as that character. <laughs> um right, right. and and you it's you kinda can't help but find it infectious. Oh, yeah, I agree. You I agree. you made a point a minute ago about the talent, and this may be a false equivalence here but or or a wrong usage of this word but what came to me when you said that was it feels like there is a lot of talent and not a lot of skill not a lot of discernment in when that and when to deploy what like because because when you just fire on all cylinders for an hour and a half everything you have it like again for me for me watching this by the time it was over like i I don't even know what i watched it was just noise it just became right right you know there's a bunch of grotesque imagery there's some folks in crazy rabbit suits for some no apparent reason that i could discern or whatever (laughs) like it's it's just because it's so unrelenting it zombifies me you know it's like it's like (laughs) i'm i'm Mm -hmm. numb by the end of it to whatever it might be after Yeah. Um, And so I think, again, this is the only film of his I've seen, um, but but I will credit the auteur nature of his efforts as an artist. Just wonder, I mean, on Donnie Darko, we talked about the the producer's cut or whatever we call it versus the theatrical cut, like just knowing having that sort of objective point of view to to lend lend something to the proceedings that that takes you from 
a numbing hour and a half to maybe an interesting hour 10 or whatever. But, but sure. You know, you yeah, know what I'm saying? Like just no, absolutely. finding yeah, something more with some more gravity to it. And and by the end of it, I was like, cause I'm with you. You made the point about the monsters, like the creature design. I, I got pretty lost by the end of it. Like is the masked guy, Dr. Satan is the spider creature thing. Dr. Satan. Right, remember. right, right, right. No, the, the Dr. Satan you. is yeah. the Dr. Satan is the one who is uh, visualized operating on Chris Hardwick's character. At oh the yeah. End. Like yeah. I thought that creature design was fantastic. I was like, okay, yeah, that's oh, yeah. pretty cool looking. Yeah. I mean, it's awful, but no, um, I get it. You yeah. Know, if you, if you, and I get it, you know, you don't want to lead with that, but like a film of these creepy subterranean monstrous, whatever that thing is, that's kind of cool and interesting, you know? Sure. Uh, of course. Giving of course. me the annoying, you know, starlet the whole time. I was like, Oh my God, this is <laughs> anyway, anyway. No, I understand. Sorry. No, no, no. I, under- I understand. I understand. Um, I want to say, I want to say one more word, uh, just singing the praises of the say late, it. uh, Sid Haig. Um, so he, yeah, he was, he has been acting since like the seventies and had softly retired by the mid nineties. And it was just kind of, you know, out of prominence or whatever, uh, his casting in this film brief as his role is, rejuvenated his career where he started showing up in a bunch um, astute fear of God viewers will might remember him from the first five minutes of bone tomahawk where he is um, David Arquette's buddy who get in his name is buddy that's his character's name um, who gets taken out by the cannibals in the first part of uh, bone tomahawk but he came and to that's Haig that's Sid Haig yeah okay and um, he he came to a kind of a prominence largely because of his role as Captain Spaulding. It kind of rejuvenated everything. He signed on to do the third film in this trilogy called Three from Hell, and Zombie came to him and and had a big part for him, but Sid Haig was in such failing health that Zombie was like, I I can't bank on, you know, I'm going to exhaust this guy. And sure enough, he cut the part down to where it was essentially a glorified cameo, and then like a a few weeks or so after I think it was a few weeks shortly after the film was released Sid Haig uh, unfortunately passed away but uh, a very charismatic uh unique character performer uh really adds a lot of uh what what little compulsion there is in the film largely revolves around Captain Spaulding as you and I both have said um I do have so I I think what everything that we're saying about the tone the the general approach I th- I think that's all valid um I, I'm I'm kind of content to just kind of leave the general discussion of the style there I did have one brief thing that stuck out to me uh, thematically that I don't think will take us down terribly many rabbit trails because the the film doesn't really prop it up to um, but. One of the scenes that really got under my skin the first time I saw it, and it's still a pretty upsetting scene, um, is uh, it's what I call the "Who's Your Daddy" scene. Um, do you remember which scene I'm talking about? I know the last half of it was kind of kind of numbing for you. Do you who, remember what scene I'm talking who's, about? Who says it? So it's the moment when, and this is you know this will give the listeners an idea of kind of the, the content of this film. So the main victims are this young couple. One of the daughters in the young couple scenario, the father comes looking for them, right? And right. and then the father gets uh, taken out, gets killed along with the uh, police officers who are there with him. Well, then the character of Otis in a in just an extremely perverse scene um, 
flays off the father's face and then wears it and he's 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 wearing mm, right right the the father's face while he is psychologically and emotionally tormenting the daughter so essentially like he's coming and and they keep repeating you know who's your daddy who's your daddy while he is and i mean it's 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 really awful to think about it like i can't th- that really goes without saying but like he's tormenting her by wearing her father's face and you know listeners who have listened to me for a long time could probably imagine where i'm going with this but it's this literal idea of the mockery being made of the, in that moment it's a torture and a torment of like this evil villainous monstrous person i mean this is this is a vastly graceless film that's i mean that both in style sure. and in theme it is it is devoid of grace it is an image of it is like it is the image and story of an utterly depraved and nihilistic creation. That is what this film is. And I'm not saying that as this moralistic indictment on no, it. I hope, I, listener, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I hope listeners can hear what I'm saying. I'm I'm using it as a sort of a clinical description, um, less uh, you know, a moral indictment. There's this manic prophet at one point in the middle of the film, which very randomly just says, like, this is hell. You know, he's got a whole bunch of scriptures on signs and says, you know, this is hell. And the big bad is Dr. Satan. Like, right, like right. the like, like it's real. Is, it's kind of subtle in that way. <laughs> you know, it's very, very on the nose. The film, as we've already said, is like it's crowded. It's ugly. It's saturated with um, distortion and it's very disorderly. Um, but that scene where Otis wears the face of that poor girl's father in this uh you know obscene and perverse distortion had me thinking about in broader topics again I'm going to hit a big subject but I don't think the film is interested in unpacking them therefore perhaps we don't need to unpack them very much um but it made me think about the ways we talk about like wolves in sheep's clothing and made me think about the ways that like you know, there there are monstrous, wicked, and evil things that are trying to pervert something that would be otherwise good, beneficial, wholesome, um, and instead, like, underneath it are just these consumptive monsters uh, quite literally trying to wear the face of the father, uh, wear the face of a benevolent sort of uh, uh, gracious, and, uh, and, and, and don't get me wrong. I've no illusions that that scene is him trying to pretend to be her dad. It just struck me that he's wearing her father's face and that that is a thing. Well, but that's almost character. the that's almost illustrating your point though. It's a perverse mockery of Exactly. Not, yes. Yeah. Yes. And um and so again, the film does not feel very interested in unpacking anything other than just disturbing you with what you are seeing on screen, which, you know, as a as an experience of filmmaking is not an invalid intention, if that's what Rob Zombie was going for. It's not really what you and I, Nathan, are as interested in, you know, in unpacking this show. Uh, but, but that is what stuck out to me as, again, indicative of the whole of the film, this, this perversity, this, uh, this kind of obscenity, um, and there are real-world implications about the ways in which, uh, yeah, uh, it is possible for somebody to simply slaughter the actual intentions of good, 
benevolent forces in our life. Uh, forgive the uh, bluntness of this, but uh, try then to wear their skin in almost a uh, you know a manipulative torment uh, for your for their own pleasure and for the furthering of their own sort of hellish intentions. Um, and I don't think I actively don't think that there are that many people in the world for whom that is a willful endeavor. I think mm-hmm. most of most of the things that happen are what you and I describe as powers and principalities. They're entrenched mindsets that people operate in that they are maybe not quite as aware of or aware of how it's influencing sure. them. Sure. Yeah. Um you know, does it exist the this level of depravity and perversity? I mean, sadly, yes, it's not completely absent from this world, which is a horrific thing to think about. Um but I think most people operate in more of a um like you aren't aware, you know, as Christ said from the cross, like they know not what they're doing uh, when they're operating from this sort of uh, perspective. And again, if there is anything uh, for me to sort of think about or, or walk away from this film to try to contextualize uh, some of what it makes me feel and think is uh, that level of uh, perversity and obscenity is... Uh, I don't want to say it's possible in the world because that sounds too glib and, and dismissive, but there are ways in which uh, perverse and monstrous things can try to uh, not only like pretend to be good and wholesome, because I don't think that's what's happening in the scene, but rather to try to undermine the power of the good and the wholesome. Like that scene, I'll say this and then I'll, I'll, I'll shut up. And if you have a response, I would welcome it or maybe we're done. Um, that scene, he's tormenting her by saying, your daddy won't save you, right? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. He's, he's tormenting her by saying like, you know, I, I got your daddy, so, so your daddy won't save you. And I feel like a lot of times we try to address the hypocrisy of like something posing as something else. Oh, they're pretending that they're on your side, but really they have your own manipulative ends. We don't as often talk about the ways in which those powers and principalities can undermine the power of the good or, or lie to you and tell you your benevolent intentions will do no good. Your fight for wholeness will do no good. Your uh, efforts at producing good in the world are useless and meaningless and pointless, and they will produce no good in the world. They will do no good. And we don't as often talk about that. We more frequently talk about, like, the hypocrisy. But that's what stands out to me about this, is he's trying to undercut and saying, like, there is no good in the world. The uh, exorcist actor, Max von Sydow, um, has just recently, as of this recording, passed away. Um, You'll be hearing this uh, much later, but... As of this recording, he's much very recently passed away, and one of my favorite lines from the director's cut of that film is when they're asked why this this demon is tormenting this girl and attacking them. He says, it is to make us despair, to make us see ourselves as animal and ugly, and to reject the possibility that God could love us. Hmm. And as as benign as I think this film ultimately is, I think about that scene and I think about the ways that the monsters try to tell us that the good has already lost and the way the monsters try to tell us that the good has already been defeated and how hard it is and what uh, important work it is to climb above that and to continue forth in good work and to continue forth in fearing nothing else despite the oppressive 
sense that we sometimes get of like, hey, your good is not working. Um, so anyway, that those are my thoughts on House of a Thousand Corpses. Um, if you if you have a response, I'd invite it. But I mean, say what I you can. Phony Maroney. <laughs> <laughs> Do the mashed potatoes. <laughs> we did win in Idaho. Um, we did. We did. So, uh, uh, but n- no, but I yeah. mean, I, you know, I, I think, I think you are a, a good and generous and kind man to find so strong a thematic idea out of that. <laughs> Not, and that actually sounds like super pejorative towards the film. I just simply mean I think that's a really good takeaway that my numbness kind of wasn't really able to key in sure, on sure, in the moment. But, yeah. you know, and what is kind of scary to me about your takeaway, not the film itself, is like you you wrapped up in what you were saying was a hint of this, and I'll extrapolate it for this split second and then we can move on, but like good is always going to be smaller and quieter mm-hmm. and harder, right? Yeah. And so it is when we do grow numb to the wicked that we forget the potency of the good. Right. Um, Agreed. And, it's, and, and this is not a fully formed idea, but it will be harder to find, right? Yeah, like right, is, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It takes energy to find and to foster and to put out into the world good. It takes yeah. far less energy and work to succumb to and abide the dark yeah um, i don't know that's just something that made me yeah. something i thought about in re- response to your theme not so mm-hmm. much in response to the film <laughs> agreed agreed um well i i think that's probably as good a place as any to to leave it there and um and to pivot over to the fog meter for our very specific metric you want to unpack for the listeners what the fog meter is sure uh, I will do that, Reed. The fog meter is our very specific metric that we use on this show, uh, specifically fear and God or substance, fear uh, or how much how scary a film is um, and how substantive a film is on a metric of... Do, did we ever formally decide is it 0 through 10 or 1 through 10? I don't know. Um, well, it can be 0 through 10. Yeah, I think we have... Mm, we've never done 0 before, but I think we Careful we've, with yeah. that. Right <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Um, I will start with fear. I I went in thinking, man, this is going to be rough. I'm going to have a hard time sleeping. I slept like a baby last night. It wasn't long (laughs) enough, but I really was totally unbothered. Um, I don't know what that says about me, but, um, to me, it's more grotesque and, and almost goofy level kind of extreme. So I don't know a two. All right. So I'm going to, as briefly as I can, qualify my my response here. My very first viewing of this, I was very disturbed. I was really mm-hmm. upset by mm-hmm. it. It would have been very, very high. I will say this. You and I weekly watch scary material, mm-hmm. much of it much of it pretty substantive. Um, if a viewer was going to try something and they are not as acclimated as we are to this, I yes. think it could be terribly upsetting. Sure. Um, I can, these, yes, I can support that. So, Um, so, so with that having been said, like, I think for like seasoned listeners, no, it's probably not going to be much. 
Um, but for people who are not as seasoned as we are, it could be bad. So for that, I'm going to split the difference and give it a five because um, I feel like it could be very extreme, very extreme or very low depending on where you are in your experience of horror films. That's I, fair. I don't think... Um, thank you. Um, I don't think that substance-wise there's as much debate about this. Um, I am not going to mince any words, y'all. Like the theme I got, sure. It, it is there on the text of the film, but I don't think that was on Rob Zombie's mind. <laughs> um, Substance-wise, I'm giving this film a one. I don't feel like there is much of anything except for a bunch of flash and bang, which, to your point, as you've said a couple of times, is kind of numbing. Um, so, no, I, I'm, for substance-wise, I'm giving it a one. I'm That's not gonna let you. Meter, I'm not gonna let you beat me to the bottom here. Uh, so <laughs> I'm gonna give. I'm, uh, to give it a zero just feels mean. Um, so I'm gonna give it a half star. I'm gonna split our difference here because okay. I want to give a little credit to Rob Zombie, who uh, clearly has some something going on that yeah, that sure. is yeah, is, yeah. is kind of worth exercising. Uh, I don't know that this was the best version of it um but yeah i mean there's just <laughs> by the end of it, it's just like okay yeah i get it i get it it's crazy <laughs> i get it y'all i get it you're good. Stop, good. stop stop talking no you're good you're good i mean you pre- press in listen and you know what's hilarious pulse. is today that uh, this recording day is the day we released uh donnie darko yes and in that episode i make reference to how i've never not watched a film or not finished a film for our coverage. And this movie tested that. Uh, oh, wow. I yeah. mean, during it, yeah. I was like, ah, I can turn I this know. off, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't, I went <laughs> okay. all the way. Okay. Anyway. Right. So yes, right. that's where I'm at. So what is our score at Reed? For- uh, that means we give house of a thousand corpses. Uh, clearly 2003 was a, uh, challenging year for horror because the favorite horror film gets a two out of 10 on the, Oof. on the fog meter. One of maybe the we just don't, ratings. let's be honest. Maybe we don't do enough drugs, you know, <laughs> that could be it. Cause that could be it. I, I feel like this movie would, would change a lot. Yes. If we did. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. More uh, drugs. As, as is usually. Do. Exactly. Yes. Cause, cause <laughs> clearly we have. Prescriptions on tap, you know, like right, right, right. Um, oh, yours is prescribed. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, <laughs> it got too real. It got too real. I love sudden. this moment. You <laughs> in Reed's mind right now, y'all. He's been. He's like Nathan. You have not offered anything in about twenty minutes, and now you're not letting me finish the show. What is wrong with you? So great. Please it's take so us great. home, Reed. Um. So well, as is usually happens, by the time we finished our full conversation, this question is pretty obvious. But would you recommend? Um, Seven thousand corpses. I recommend you start and get about five minutes into it, and then turn it off. I think that opening five minutes is fun enough that you should YouTube it. Yeah, like because it's yeah, fun. Like yeah, yeah that that opening that opening scene with Captain Spaulding, which by the way you need no plot for. Like it no. is a self-contained scene, um, and it is uh, surprisingly fun. So uh, so yeah, if I, this yeah. film had been the misadventures of Captain Spaulding and his store. <laughs> I would have been on board for that. All right. All right. You know what? Hmm. Maybe in a parallel universe, that is the film that we get. And but that, that, I, that's a shame. 
I want there to be so much better in a parallel universe than just that. There's an adjustment <laughs> to this Rob Zombie movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's the selling point. No, no, no. Our universe right, has, right. has this version yeah. of this film. It's like if you ever find the portal to that parallel universe <laughs> and you're like, oh man, things are going to be so radically different. And you're just like, wait, I got to find the thing that's different and, like, and that's really? it like oh come on y'all. Uh, yeah that's disappointing. Um, speaking of getting to the end of being disappointed <laughs> <laughs> exactly i uh i echo your uh non-recommendation there i i can't in good conscience recommend the film for those who are diehard horror fans and have always been curious i mean if, if Go you for want it. yeah if you want to uh but uh, i do not recommend this film to any casual uh, viewer or listener, uh, although as long as you can handle some foul language, that opening five minutes is a lot of fun. Uh, so, yeah, that uh, puts uh, 2003 in the books. Uh, so next week, uh, not, I mean, like, talking, talking about graphic and everything, although let me just spit out what the film is that we're covering next week. And, yeah, because I don't uh, know. Yeah, so 2004 is where we're up for next week. And we are finally going to be diving in. It is surprising me that we haven't touched on this franchise as prominent as the franchise is um, in all these years. But we are finally going to be covering James Wan's Saw, the Mm. very first in that franchise, which the franchise itself has some echoes of kind of our discussion of House of a Thousand Corpses. But the first film I find very interesting. Uh, I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and so, yes, um, it is also a film that I would recommend doing a little bit of research and discerning whether you want to see it because it is also graphic, but unlike House of a Thousand Corpses, there's a lot more uh, to it. There's a lot more going on in it. Um, And uh, so we'll we'll talk about that more and many other things uh, next week. So next week, 2004, uh, your top 10 favorite horror films of 2004 and a full discussion about James Wan's Saw. Nathan, Thank you Reed. for tolerating this film and for having a discussion I mean, with me about it. I'm still mad it wasn't Land of a Thousand Dances, but... Let me hear you sing one more time. All right. We will see you guys next week. Give us our send-off, Riri. All right. As we say, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, everybody. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest episodes and news, as well as for merchandise and how to contact us. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God, on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music, and to Tyler Smith and MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody!